Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 9th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Legalism, License, and Love, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Is it okay for a Christian to do this? Is it okay for a Christian to do that? To that question, there's easy answers, yes and no, based upon the things that the Bible clearly testifies to. Um, But then there's this thing called the gray area, right? Where maybe the Bible doesn't clearly testify to it. There's not a clear yes or a clear no. All throughout the history of the church, there's been people trying to fill in that gap with different things. This passage tells us clearly, don't quarrel about personal opinions. Be graciously convinced of your opinion in honor of the Lord, because all of us will eventually give an account. And sometimes we're, we're more caught up in trying to be right in our opinion than we are being faithful to the Lord and what he's called us to do to reach and serve our lost and dying world around us. May we not be caught up in trying to win an argument, but only caught up in trying to encourage people towards faith in Christ. Highlands, may that be us. About August, when we were in Romans chapter 12, boy, things begin to change. When you get to Romans chapter 12, now you're dealing with what happens with us and a world that's lost. And so we've been told, you know, Paul makes it very clear in the scriptures that we're supposed to love other people, and that includes those that probably don't deserve to be loved. Love your enemies. Love those that would be diametrically opposite of you on your thinking or on on your stance on things, and that's tough. You get to chapter 13, and now Paul says, hey, I want you to love, you know, and pray for and and follow, you know, your governmental leaders, and, you know, that sounds easy to say. It's not an easy thing to do until you also realize that when Paul wrote that, Nero was the guy in power in Rome the guy who burned Christians on the stake. You get to chapter 14 and Paul begins to talk about keeping your opinions to yourself within the fellowship and now, here in this part of chapter 14, Paul is gonna talk about, is gonna tell us the fact that it's wrong to cause others to stumble spiritually as a result of my own personal legalism or my license that says I can do whatever I want. Paul's command here is going to be instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in love. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, the makeup of the Roman church there and Rome itself was incredibly eclectic. You have to understand that Rome at this time was the power of the world. I mean, it's, it's not just like the, 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 the economic power, it's the military power, the industrial power. I mean, everything that revolved around, every, all roads led to Rome, everything. And the city of Rome is just full of people from all sorts of different backgrounds. You had people from Asia, from Africa, from Europe, from the Middle East. And as a result of this powerful Roman army that you know, we've all you know, historically always known about, the city of Rome itself was full of all these defeated countries' peoples, their soldiers and their families and their children that had been turned into slaves. More than half the city of Rome. As a result of this, now you have a group of people that are living next to each other. They're all different. 
shopping next to each other, working next to each other, and the fact that the gospel was going out meant that they were also worshiping next to each other. Church is growing. It's developing a whole new kind of community. It doesn't look like what what they would see in other places at all. I mean, it's all mixed up and, and God is doing these amazing things. So imagine for a second that you're there, there in worship and, and the pastor's been talking about the idea, look, you need to have people, you need to reach out to brothers and sisters and have people in your home and practice hospitality. And, and so you see this new couple there at church and they're kind of interesting. I mean, they're different than you. They clearly, you know, have a slightly different dress and, you know, whatever it is in their voice is slightly different and, and they're, you know, they, they seem to go about things and you're really interested in all of that and so you invite them over to dinner because you want to do what your pastor has said, and, then, and so they do. They come to your dinner. But in, you know, in the meantime, you, know, you go out and, and you go down into the market square, and your you know, purpose is going down there is to buy a piece of meat for tonight's you know, gathering. So you go down there, and you're going through all of this area there where people are selling all this stuff on the street because there were no air-conditioned shops. I mean, everybody sold this stuff you know, out on the street. And you go, and you get this piece of meat, and it's a great piece of meat. You go home and you prepare it and you're all excited and these people, these new friends of yours, they show up and you bring the meat out and you put it before them and they're offended. Because see, that meat that you put before them might or might not, you don't, even, you don't know for sure, but have been, might have been sold by someone that actually made a sacrifice to a foreign god someplace on some altar and then they took and they sold it to you know, a, a person that was sort of like the middle person and that person sold it to a vendor and you bought it from the vendor and brought it home. Now the fact that it was sold you know, in that kind of a way and used for that kind of thing probably means absolutely nothing to you. It's just meat. It's a really good cut of meat. And, and to be honest to you, when you think of the whole idea of idolatry, you're going, okay, well, you know, it's a piece of wood or it was a piece of stone. No big deal. I don't really care about all that, you know, and, and I don't think it's a, a really big deal. And to be honest with you, the Bible would actually say the same thing in Isaiah chapter 44. God tells the nation of Israel, do you realize how foolish the idea of idolatry is? A guy plants a a tree in the ground and it grows up and then he takes and he cuts it down and with part of it he builds a fire, keeps himself warm and with part of it he cooks his food and with part of it he chisels and forms it into something that he bows down and worships to. He's, He's trying to point out that it's kind of a foolish thought. And so for you it means nothing but for the couple that you just invited over, Man, they were raised to stay away from anything that was sacrificed to idols. That's not what they want to do. You see the problem that was brewing within the church there? This is the age-old battle between legalism and license, what's allowable and what's taboo. And lots of issues fit into this. I mean, beer, wine, liquor, cigarettes, vaping, all of it. On top of that, just because something is legal doesn't make it okay. I mean, there are counties in Nevada that say prostitution is legal. That doesn't make it morally okay. Where do you draw a line? How do you do that? Paul here in Romans chapter 14 knows that some believers still want to keep 
those old dietary laws and observe the holy days that they were a part of their tradition before they came to practice, you know, to follow Christ. But Paul also knows that this could be the seeds, the beginning of division within the church. It's interesting because very early on in chapter 14 of Romans, Paul will mention that their faith here is weak. That kind of sounds harsh, to be honest, when you hear that, you know, wow, you got weak faith, you know. It wasn't just that he disagreed with their decision. It was what their decision really meant. You see, this is, a weak faith would be is that you, yes, you've trusted in Jesus, you know, I believe, you, know you, you believe in him and you've trusted in him and you think that he died on a cross and saved you, but I kind of better still do this, you know, this food thing, just as kind of like insurance, just in case, maybe, just in case, maybe. Paul says it's weak. Anytime that you and I see something as more than just simply trusting in Jesus, that's a problem. Theologically, you learn that very early on, Jesus plus anything is a problem. That's what makes legalism so dangerous, that it appears to requiring something more than simply trusting in Jesus. But there are also people within the church that have no sense of legalism at all. They have no list of have-tos. Maybe they came from a background that didn't have any kind of have-tos at all in that. They believe they can eat anything they want, drink anything they want, regard any day that they want as all the same. And in a sense, their faith is strong because they're right. I mean, First Timothy chapter four, verse four says, for everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected that is received with thanksgiving. But the problem is, is they face the temptation to be proud and arrogant and have sort of a superior attitude about them that says, well, I'm right and you're wrong. You're the weaker brother and I must be stronger. That's a problem. Because they might be right but they would also be immature. They would also be immature in how they would handle their freedom. So Paul here in Romans chapter 14 is going to tell the church that it is important that we learn to respect one another's conscience. Now, what that basically means is within the church, you're going to have at least two groups of people. You're going to have those that are gonna be leaning on one side and be a little bit more on the legalistic side. You're gonna have some that are gonna be on the other side and they're gonna lean more towards like that whole license kind of a side. You're gonna have some that hold to a strict diet and certain foods and refuse to eat and drink certain things because of, of their, you know, the, sort of their involvement maybe in, in, in other idolatry kind of issues. But as long as that view is not salvific. In other words, it doesn't become a part of salvation. And in their hearts, they're thinking, I'm staying away from this food because I want to honor God and I don't believe this really honors God. You know what? You're good. You can do that. Now, there are also people within the church to think, oh, I can eat anything I want. I can, I can drink anything I want. I mean, God has saved me from everything and, and I can honor God completely with my, my freedoms and I can, I can consume all these different things as long as you trust only in Jesus and not your own freedom. As long as you don't look down your nose at somebody, you're good. 
Paul actually here is the right person to deal with this. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee meant that he actually lived with dietary restrictions and, and all of that all of his life until he came to trust in Jesus. And now he felt like he could eat anything. But Paul is also mature in his faith to the point that he's very careful what he does. He doesn't want to offend anybody with his, his sense of newfound freedom that he's got. I mean, because if someone saw him eat something or drink something that, that really bothered them, and got upset by that, he just simply would not eat or drink it. He would stop. I mean, why upset your fellow Christians just to show off your liberty? That doesn't make you mature. The mature Christian knows they should not hold the weaker brother or sister in contempt over their opinions. The mature Christian does not judge the stronger because their conscience allows them to eat or to drink. Why? Well, if you go back in the text here, look at Romans 14. Let me just point out something to you. Verse 12, which is the verse that Thomas ended on last week, says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The very reason why I don't have to judge you is you have to give an account to God, not me. So let's stop and let's read through the passage. I know you're going, oh my gosh, you haven't even got to the passage yet. I'm sorry. It'll only be about an hour and a half more. Okay, passage, Romans chapter 14. Look at, starting with verse 13. Paul writes and he says, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let, uh, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Well, that's a mouthful right there. Look, this passage is gonna divide up into four simple things that we're gonna jump into. The first thing is this. First thing Paul's gonna tell us here in verses 13 through 15 is that as Christians, we are commanded to walk in love. If you go back to the first word there, verse 13, he says, therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, it's about the same thing as saying, as a result of. In other words, the first thing you do is you stop and you go back to the verse or the two verses before that and find out what is he talking about. Well, if you go back to verse 12, of course, verse 12 makes it very clear here that he's saying that each of us are going to have to give an account to God. So he says, therefore, as a result of the fact that you and I, each of us, have to give an account to God, in verse 13 he says, stop judging each other. 
Stop criticizing. Stop looking down your nose at people. Then he says, decide or make up your mind not to cause a brother or sister to stubble. In fact, that's a great overview even for the whole passage here. In verse 14, Paul will actually use himself here as an example, that he believes that nothing in itself that he eats or drinks will actually defile him, that nothing is unclean. Look what he says, I know, this is Paul writing here, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, by the way, this is at least the third time out of four that I can think of that the New Testament deals with legalism and license. The first time that happens is in Matthew chapter 15 when Jesus with the disciples and surrounded by a group of Pharisees, he stops and he says, hey, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of the heart. Boy, that had to be a hard thing for people to hear at that time because they were convinced that what you ate decided if you were gonna be righteous or not. Peter has the same thing in, in Acts chapter 10. Peter stops and, and he has this vision of eating all these different things, all these different animals and he's like, no, 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 I could never do that and the Holy Spirit makes it very clear. Look, whatever God has made is okay. Now Paul gets to Romans chapter 14, he's gonna do the same thing and he will do the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Now go back to verse 14 here for a second. I want you to notice the term that Paul prefaces everything with. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That is an incredibly loaded statement. Let me see if I could read this to you and, and give it to you in a way so you can understand. It's like saying, you know, wine in itself is fine. Does that make sense to you? But that kind of a statement is also loaded with, when you say in itself, what if it goes beyond that? For example, too much wine is not okay. You get drunk, Bible calls that sin. Maybe wine too often becomes an addiction, like you can't sleep without it. That's not okay. Lose control and get just a little bit buzzed and now it's not the Holy Spirit that's in control, it's a different spirit. Go back to verse 14 here because Paul's gonna continue on. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but, really important little statement there, but if someone feels in their conscience that something is wrong, then it is sin. You know, Christians like to think that we can and do consume anything we want because it's solely between us and the Lord. It's just completely a vertical issue. As long as I'm right with God, I can do all of that. And you wanna know something? You're absolutely right. Don't walk out yet, okay? You're absolutely right. You are completely free. But the passage doesn't stop there. The passage will also tell us that for the sake of others around us, there is also the issue of a horizontal way of looking at things. Vertically, I'm right with God. I mean, it's just true. I, I'm free to, to drink or eat anything I want. But 
what if it wounds you? Hmm? Look at what he says here. He's going to explain all this. Look at verse 14 again. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is clean in itself. You know what he's just said right there? Everything's fine. I can eat and drink anything I want. But look what he says in the second part of verse 14 and in verse 15. But it, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. I'm free. But if it bothers you, the, the Holy Spirit that's been put inside of me is telling me stop. You see, if your brother is grieved by the exercising of your liberty in front of them, then the exercising of your liberty is not being loving. I'm no longer walking in love. Think of it like this. Those who are weak in faith are those that are driven by guilt. In other words, I have to do this. I just, I feel like I have to. Those who are strong in faith are driven by knowledge. Hey, that's not the right answer. I got the right answer. Neither one of those are okay. Because those who are mature in faith are driven by love. They're walking in love. What Paul is telling us here in verse 15 is that we need to be driven by love. Now, the second thing he's going to tell us here in verses 16 through 18 is that we are to seek righteousness over and above our freedom. Look what he says, verse 16. So do not let what is regarded as good be spoken of as evil. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not about a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, when we first started uh, the book of Romans, you know, a, a life-changing book, but when you start it, when you, one of the things you realize is, is, is the first 11 chapters of Romans are all about God's gift of righteousness, that by faith, we are legally declared free, that God removes all of our sin, that Jesus accomplished it all on the cross, every single thing. You didn't do anything in that regard to make you righteous. Jesus did it all. That's the truth of the scriptures, a lot of people would just love to stay right there. I mean, Romans chapter five tells us that we're declared righteous by what Jesus did on the cross. Colossians chapter two, verse 14 tells us that our debt was canceled out on the cross. And then, dang it, you get to Romans chapter 12. And between Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 16, it's all about now taking this life that has been saved and transformed and turning it back over to Jesus and letting him do what he wants to do, and him giving me the power because he's put his Holy Spirit inside of me to be useful to him. That's a biggie. Righteousness at this point is not legal. Righteousness now is dynamic. Legally, he set me free, he, he forgave me, but now he put his Holy Spirit inside of me to live inside of me, to help me live this life, to help me make a good decision, to love you, to, to walk in the middle of, of difficult times, and now it's dynamic. I'm, and the Holy Spirit is working inside of me and I'm battling at times. Well, I don't know if I wanna do that. Why do I have to give in to that? Why do I have to do what they wanna do because they're so legalistic? 
The point is this, is that legally I'm free to eat and drink whatever I want, but I am not free because of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit living inside of me to cause you to stumble. If I wound you, I'm no longer being loving. I'm no longer walking in love. Look at verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when you came to faith in Jesus, this is not about your freedom. This is about you doing the right thing. Because that's what righteousness means, to do the right thing. Sometimes the exercise of my freedoms isn't the right thing. Paul told us that in, in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, all things are lawful for me. In other words, it's all good. God vertically made it all good. It's all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And so freedom-wise, are you okay to have a glass of wine? Yes. Of course. I mean, you've all heard that, oh yeah, well, Jesus changed the water into wine, but I think it was really grapefruit. No, it wasn't. No, grapefruit, I'm sorry, did not kill the bacteria in the water, and they all had bacteria in the water. When Jesus passed the cup around, when they remembered what he was going to do on the cross, that was not juice like we drink for ours. So yes, are you okay to have a glass of wine? Yes, but the exercise of that freedom here, folks, has consequences might not be profitable. What would happen if maybe in your family, if someone in your family has sort of that addictive personality where they can't stop? What happens if you begin to lean too much on it because work's hard right now? It might not be profitable. What happens if it masters me like 1 Corinthians 6 says? And, you know, because a lot of things do. I mean, there are things out there that are incredibly addictive. I mean, vape is addictive. Cigarettes are addictive. Alcohol is addictive. What if it doesn't edify? What if right in the middle of, of me, you know, having a glass of wine and I have sort of a second little cup of wine and in the middle of something and we're talking about maybe it's a kind of a controversial stuff and our political, you know, views on sort of life and stuff like that and I let one slip out a little bit too far and now I've offended. Who's wrong? Me. The key here is verse 17 says, our righteousness and our freedoms are not equally important. To prioritize our freedom is to prioritize self. To prioritize righteousness is to prioritize others. That is how we're supposed to live. I mean, Paul in Philippians chapter two, verse three tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Righteousness in us thinks sacrificially. It thinks like Jesus, who didn't have to leave the Father in heaven, but he did. Who didn't have to be born in a, in a, in a manger, but he did. Who didn't have to walk around on this earth, but he did. Who didn't have to go to the cross and die for you, but he did. 
Growing in faith, being a servant, loving others, living sacrificially, all take priority over our freedoms. And so when we grow up spiritually, we become mature spiritually. I don't struggle with that battle as much in my life. Now it's not about either my freedoms or righteousness. I'm going to choose righteousness. Now the third thing that Paul's gonna tell us here in verses 19 through 21 is that we are to pursue peace. Verse 19, he says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So then, in other words, it's like saying the therefore, it's as a result of what you've just read back in verses 17 through 18, that righteousness takes priority of our freedom, we are to pursue what makes for peace, okay? What makes for peace? Well, unselfishness. Genuine concern. How do I know that? Well, because the opposite of what makes for war and fighting would be what makes for peace. The James, in James chapter four, verses one and two tell us this. He says, what, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? If you ever quarrel at home, this is probably a good one for you to get. Is it not that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What causes fights and quarrels? Selfishness. I want to do that. And you can't stop me because Jesus set me free. That's not a mature attitude spiritually. Verse 20 here. Paul adds to this, he gives us this command. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. That's, that is absolutely a command. Don't destroy the work of God by what you eat and by what you drink. Now, he's not talking about salvation here when he's talking about destroying the work of God. You cannot destroy God's grace, but what you can destroy is our witness. You can destroy our unity. You can destroy the fellowship of, of brothers and sisters being able to come together. Paul's point here is there is more at stake here than simply our freedoms. Now, verse 21, he stops and he said, it is good not to eat meat or drink or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So he's telling us that this sacrifice for unity is a good thing. Now let me give you the last thing here, the fourth thing, and that is we need to check our motives. Check your motives. Look at verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Keep your personal convictions about this stuff to yourself. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and they'll join me, and while they're doing that, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. Does prioritizing righteousness over personal freedoms, does that mean that the weaker brother or sister decides what you're going to eat or drink? Well, the answer is sometimes yes. Sometimes yes. There are gonna be times where you're gonna think, why, why can't I do that? Why can't I eat this? But it wounds someone else. Live with a mature faith. 
That doesn't mean you're gonna spend all your time with those people. If it's going to wound them, then yes, you will not eat that in front of them. Second question is, how does the stronger then, the one that is right in this, got the right answer, how does the stronger encourage the weaker without looking down on them? Well, that's really important. Verse 13 was barely clear that we should not be critical, not criticize them. The issue is this, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your freedom and allow the Holy Spirit to work on the conscience of your brother or sister and make that that exercise of what you do wooing. You see, there's something amazingly wonderful about the idea of someone sacrificing for you. God uses that in a very powerful way. If someone stops and says, you know, I I love you too much to, to... to to do that in front of you, I won't. Well, the Holy Spirit begins to use that inside of us to to challenge us. How do you know if something is all right to do or to consume? Let me give you four things. The first one is ask yourself, does the Bible associate it with sin? Again, I'll be practical. Does the Bible associate a glass of wine with sin? Nope. It does associate drunkenness with sin. Could you do it with, number two, with Jesus' full knowledge and of every detail and the motive that you have here? If the answer is yes, it's not sin. You know, our, our conscience should always line up, though, folks, with the biblical commands. Thirdly, are my motives pure? Is my motive simply all about exercising my freedom or is my motive to do righteousness, to do what is right? Fourthly, does whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm eating or drinking, does it lead to self-destruction and bondage? Because Peter warns us about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. He says, do not let your freedom be a covering for evil. Liberty was never meant to cause you bondage or self-destruction. Let me, let me just sum this up for you really fast. You know what this is really all about? The church in Rome had so many different people all thrown together. This is not about your personal feelings on stuff. Go back to God's word. Find out what God's word says about how we live together. And if your brother's offended by something you're doing, just stop and back up. Take the servant role. Ask God to retain the fellowship together. That's what will be pleasing to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that our hearts would be aligned completely with you and your word, that there'd be nothing, Father, that we would want to do that would be outside of um, the limits of what you say is okay, that there'd be nothing that we would, would do that would wound a brother and sister knowingly. But we'd constantly be thinking about being a servant. Lord, that's what we want to be, a church full of servants, not legalistic, not with a license, 
but a church full of people that will walk in love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know that there will be a group of people down here that see it as a blessing and a ministry that they can be involved to be able to pray with you and for you. And if you need anything at all, please come down. They would love to be able to just talk with you, listen with you, pray with you, whatever the case may be, they're here. The only thing that brings people together that are from all sorts of different backgrounds that disagree on different things is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. When we're going to be If we're gonna be weak in faith, you're gonna demand your way. If you're gonna be correct in faith, but look down your nose at other people, you might have the right answer. But if you're gonna be mature in faith, you're going to be driven by love. That's my prayer, is that we would be a church full of people that are driven by the love of God, driven by the one who has no rival, no equal. God bless you. Love you all.